Church is not a Sunday gathering that we attend and kind of get checked on for good performance. It's a family. It's a community on a journey together. And like with every family, we have our good moments, our bad ones. Last Sunday, we celebrated AJ and Chloe's engagement. But every week, I have high points and low points with community life. And uh, so I'm really stoked that you are here with us. And I've tried to think, how can I use this moment as a community, as a dad? I wish I didn't have the do all the stuff on me, but uh, they record it, and my mother watches, so you know, it's really important. It has eternal significance, uh, because she calls me and tells me how much she loved it, and she's 84, and maybe going deaf, I don't know, but anyway, she enjoys it nevertheless. But um, I read an interesting couple of phrases in my devotions on a Wednesday morning. So every morning, I wake up early, and uh, I love going down, making myself a cup of tea. Back in the day, coffee, not so much anymore. And uh, I open the scriptures and I expect God to speak to me. I, I really do. It's like a love letter. I was in the army, for some, some of you know, and when we were in operations in Angola, I used to write letter, Merrill a letter, and every time they kind of brought food in, they've chopped food into us or they brought in the food, that we could send letters back. And Meryl is a big bag of letters that I sent her during that time up in Angola. And uh, th- this to me is when I read the Bible, it's not out of dogged religious loyalty. It's because I'm expecting my Heavenly Father who has chosen many um, different um, styles of writing, many different authors, 66 of them over a period of time, or 66 letters anyway. And, and I'm expecting Him to speak to me. I, I, I'm leaning into the moment. And, and this particular morning was particularly helpful, and there's a twist to the tale, and it's when Jesus tells his disciples to go and fetch a colt. So on Thursday night, I told the story at our worship evening, and afterwards, Tion and Meryl said to me, Chris, Dad, why don't you just say a donkey? Because everyone thought you meant a colt, but you can hear the difference between colt and colt, can't you? Anyway, so, so Jesus sends his disciples to go and get a donkey. For heaven's sake. But, but, but Luke's account has this very interesting phrase. It says, those who were sent ahead went and found it. And I do not know why, but it grabbed my attention. It was like, whoa, okay. Those who went ahead. Those who went first. Those who were prophetically curious. Those who with imagination were running ahead of the others. Those with a sense of assignment went ahead to find it. Well, what is it? It is a donkey, meaning it's the way Jesus would come into the city as the son of David, son of God. Great historical moment. I'm reading a big fat book on the history of Jerusalem by a Jewish author. Very interesting reading Jerusalem and its many millennia through the eyes of a Jewish author. And and this is it. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. And something profound was about to happen. And that's why they needed a donkey that would bring him in. Not a stallion or a steed, not a chariot, not accompanied by soldiers, somehow presenting a hierarchy or prestige. On the humble donkey he came, but someone had to go and fetch it. And as I sat there and read it, I thought, oh God, 
Who would be those men and women, boys and girls, who would be those sent ahead? I want to be. I want to be part of those that will usher in when Jesus comes to town. And then verse 37, it says, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God. You must know I'm on a bit of a mission here. These are just some introductory thoughts. I'm on a mission to create a worship culture that reflects the Hebrew words that describe worship. You, you know that. Super OC chill, coffee in hand is not one of them. This is one of them. When the King of glory came in, when the presence of God in His Son was so profound, people could not help it but overcome their prejudice and their preference and their cultural obligations, and they were joyful in their praise of God. They had loud voices. I'm a British soccer fan. Liverpool is my team. And this morning I grabbed a few moments, couldn't watch the whole game because Meryl and I were processing some things in a good way and, and I was finishing my prep. But I always love my eyes sweeping over the stands. And here are the conservative Brits, no, no pain intended, my dear British people. But, but here they are. I mean, they are screaming and shouting and cussing the ref. And they are doing the whole thing. Because their king of glory was coming in, Mo Salah. See? See? It's when we just set aside our cultural bias and preference, the thing that grabs your heart. T said to me, Dad, I want to go and watch K-pop in LA. It's only 200 bucks for like nosebleed around the corner. You can't really see them seats. I thought, hmm. I can think of many other ways to spend 200 bucks. But to each their own. Are you with me? There is something about a worship invitation when the King of Glory comes in that just explodes in us. That just, it's not a culture. It's not even a subculture. It's the explosion of joy because Jesus is in the house. Now keep that thought going and grab your Bibles and we're going to go to Isaiah 54 and I've got a super cheesy title, Getting the Donkey Ready and I apologize for it. I wish I had a better one. Isaiah 54. Is someone putting my, the, my, the slides up, Ty? Didn't get them? I mean, they didn't work? Okay. Isaiah 54, I'm sorry, because I've got three really cool quotes that would have helped if, you'd saw, if you could see them. Anyway, we will do what we can. Lu, uh, Isaiah, and um, I'm reading from the, the NIV. Verse 1. Sing, barren woman. What a damn idiotic thing to say. There is a woman traumatized by the fact she could not give birth. Now, in our modern world, that's kind of having babies is an option. In the, in, the, in the days of antiquity, it was not. If you did not have babies, your culture, your community, your tribe shrank, and you would get defeated by your enemy. The number one thing a woman was there to do was to have babies. I've just finished reading uh, something of the summer moon. On the Comanches. And I was always interested, why did the Comanches steal little girls? They would rape the older woman and kill them. 
They would kill the older the, the men and, and scalp them, but they would take the little girls. And then it made sense to me when the author says that actually it was their way, their numbers were diminishing. The harsh context in which they lived, the brutal fighting between them and then the Mexicans and then the blue coats. And so the only way they could guarantee that their tribe would continue living was to get little white girls and impregnate them and have them produce other little Comanches. See, so when we read that, we're well, like, your option. You, you don't have a kid? No problem, lady. No, the context was the very reason, primary reason for a woman's existence was to keep the tribe alive. The family alive. We are dependent on you, ma'am. The city elders would say. And the prophet, how blooming offensive. He says, all you barren women, I want you to sing. You who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. But he carries on. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch those tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. I love that promise. You will forget the shame of your youth. We all did stuff. We all do stuff in our youth that shame us. But what a promise. You will forget. You will forget the shame of your youth. What a promise. The things you are struggling with, the things you see, feel like you have no victory over, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your womanhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer and he is called the God of all the earth. So, what is the prophet announcing? Can we, can we just kind of nerd out a little bit on a couple of quotes, which I think will help. Three of them, actually. Prophetic imagery is incredibly compelling. The prophets were often spoken of as seers. And so in our kind of charismatic world, we will say things like, well, I had this picture of, or I had a dream and in it I saw, or when I laid my hands on you, I saw. Which does sound a little strange if you haven't been schooled in this tradition. But listen to Walter Brueggemann, who is a delightful author-philosopher. He says this. The prophet engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented. For questions of implementation are of no consequence until the vision is imagined. The imagination must come before implementation. I think in our kind of charismatic world, imagination has been treated as the poor cousin. You can come to the wedding, just sit behind the palm tree so no one can see you. We're nervous of you. You are incredibly dangerous. If we get people to imagine, what on earth will happen? And yet, 
Paul writes, and he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. He can do more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. Prophecy is a futurist fantasy. Quote two. The task of prophetic ministry, Brueggemann says, is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness. These are big words, but, but stay with me. I think it's something really beautiful. He says, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. Big words, I had to read it many times, and I thought if I use it, you'll think I'm clever. Now, the task of prophetic ministry is almost maternal-like. It is to nurture you. So when people use prophetic, quote-unquote, to beat you up, it's not consistent with the Word of God because prophecy is to edify, to exhort, and to comfort. That's what Paul says. And Brueggemann says it's to nurture. Isn't that quite what mothers do? I met someone in the park the other day. I was looking after my grandson and they started chatting, and she said, oh, you're from South Africa. It kind of always opens a door, and then they're going to ask me, what am I doing here? It's, and she said, you know, my father, he will not bring my two-year-old to the park. See, men don't instinctively nurture. It's not what comes first to us. Give me a five, six, seven-year-old little boy or girl, and I can play, and, and I can do stuff, but a little... Delta, my little, what, 10-month-old granddaughter? Uh, hi, <laughs> Papa, uh, can I go now? You know, it's like we, we don't know how to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and a perception that is different from the world around us. You more than me. I live in a very Christian world. But, but you live in a consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around you that is completely different to the prophetic, which is there to nurture and nourish and invoke something else. Now, I hope all of this will come together in a moment. One more quote. There it is. I love this one. Hope, on one hand, is absurdly too embarrassing to speak about. How dare you have hope? Who the hell do you think you are? Don't you know there's COVID? Don't you know that there are vaxxers and anti-vaxxers? Don't you know that there's woke and the, the proud boys? And don't you know, don't you know? How dare you have hope? Hope is an absurdity, too embarrassing to speak about, for it flies in the face of all those claims we have been told are facts. Hope is the refusal to accept the reading of reality, which is the majority opinion. Hope is the refusal to accept, now you know why I wanted it up here, is the refusal to accept the reading of reality, which is the majority opinion. We are other, my dear friends. We live in another world. We think differently, see differently, feel differently. The one does, um, okay. On the other hand, hope is subversive. Oh, that's cool. Hope is subversive for it limits the grandiose pretension of the present Daring to announce that the present to which we have all made commitments is now called to question. Dang, that's good. 
Everything that we've bought into, everything that we believe to be true, get your big house, marry, have your three kids, have your two cars, you know, build up a big retirement package, is an absurdity against the biblical hope that we have. Is futuring fantasy. Is nurturing, nourishing, and evoke a different consciousness. And it is hope. And this hope is subversive. How dare you have hope? Barren woman. Sing. Hell no. I'm authentic. I'm barren. You ain't going to get me to sing. So what Brueggemann is saying is that our hope is not on what we have been told is true. Our hope is on something transcendent, something other. 1, Corinthians, 1 Chronicles 25. You with me? You okay? I'm pretty passionate about these things. This is the story of David. Listen to this. He gets all these generals around. So you can imagine General Colin Powell back in the day. Loved his autobiography. And um, he gets all the commanders of the army together. And he says, set apart, together with them, the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun for the ministry of prophesying. I just look, can you imagine the president calls all his, his, his kind of military cabinet together. And he says, listen, guys, we really need some prophets. Who can we set aside in this country, in Washington, to prophesy at this time? The man whom God said could not build the temple because he was a warrior and his hand was stained by blood. Not people you shoot at a thousand yards, people you kill with a sword and you slit their throat. Combat that's personal and you see the eyes of those you kill. He says, we need men who will lead the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres and cymbals. We know those ancient instruments, don't we? I mean, oh, Tyler, I really enjoyed you on bass tonight, by the way. But, but you see all this, oh. See, see they, they become catalysts for the prophetic ministry of God. This creates the platform, lays the table so that God can present the things that are dear to Him. So, the prophet is calling us to hope, an alternative reality. One that is governed by the Father seeing, feeling, hearing, and speaking. We are invited. Please hear me. And I know it's the millennials' authenticity is so big. We're invited not to be governed by what we see, feel, hear, or speak. We are governed by something else. Well, I, I'm not coming to the gathering tonight because I don't feel good. And I don't feel if I come there, I'll be such a hypocrite. Sing, a barren woman. No, no, I'm such a hypocrite. If I go, I'm not going tonight because, because I, I've had a really sinful week. I have watched pornography and or I have, I have uh, uh, give me a few other sins. I've, 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 gone, I've gone and stolen from Nordstrom and whatever the case may be. I, I can't pass, sing, a barren woman. We're straddled between the heavenly and the earthly, and it's difficult sometimes. We straddle between what we see and what He sees, between what we feel and He feels. 
Why must the barren woman sing? Is she not at her most anxious and traumatic estate? Shouldn't she just keep quiet and sit in the corner and find her place? What was the prophet thinking? See, dear friends, I think the invitation to a healthy church is our ability to praise no matter what we face. Why do you think I stand here? Is it because I want to be the center of attraction? Absolutely not. I've stood here for almost 40 years because I cannot always trust my soul. Something may have happened that week. Someone screwed me. Someone posted lies about me. Someone said unkind things about me. What? Can I just be very honest with me? Forgive me if you can't cope with my honesty. Sometimes I want to stand there and I want to do this. Sorry if it shocks you. But I stand here because in that moment I am the barren woman and I speak to my soul to sing. Not because how I feel, not because how I see, not because how I hear even. It's because of who He is. A church with a healthy worshiping culture is a church that is obsessed with who He is and far less obsessed with who we are. The prophet says, for more of the children, more blessing, fruitfulness, productivity will come for the child or children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. You know, Sarah couldn't have a baby. Grew older every year. Not by years, but by decades. Sing, O barren woman. Decades I've been waiting for this child of promise. Decades nothing's happened. Sing, sing, sing. Hannah, kneeling. The priest comes to her and says, Are you drunk? Have you smoked something? What on earth are you doing, woman? Sing, sing, sing. And I forced this in here. I'm sorry, it doesn't quite fit, but it has to fit. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels tread? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? What lyrics. Imagine a mother nurturing evoking consciousness with this little baby and says, Is this, can this really be God? As this little baby full of slime and blood is, is wrapped in swaddling clothes and she's holding this dirty little baby, not dirty, um, whatever little baby, hasn't been cleaned, hasn't been sanitized, and she holds it. Are, are you really God? Are you really God? And then the angels start singing. Really? The wise men come and bring gifts. Really? The shepherds come and stand there. Really? Because this is very difficult to believe. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? Folks, there is an invitation for us to step into a space 
2021 was brutal. It was for me. I was sitting with Dan having coffee the other day, and it was a brutal year for me. Now, sometimes I'm obligated to optimism. Growing up, Meryl and I were talking about that today. Uh, growing up in the home of an alcoholic forced me. It was either going to kill me or I was going to rise above it. So I chose a journey of optimism. This is not going to destroy me. This is not going to mess with me. So I rose with an obligation to optimism. I'm always going to be optimistic, is what I told myself and how I crafted my soul. The only problem is sometimes that optimism hides the true inner brokenness. Because I'll just bounce. Come on! No, the, the, the invitation is come with your barrenness and sing. Don't have a baby or don't bear much fruit or don't, this is a really righteous week I've had, so now I can sing. No, I, I come with my brokenness and I've stood here, honestly, in over 40, 40 years, I've stood here and I've said, soul, I can't trust you right now. I am going to sing in spite of my brokenness or pain or heartache or disappointment. Or this year has been too hard or I'm frazzled. I don't know if I can carry on. Like you, I have those thoughts as well. Sing, barren woman. Sing. For more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a child. I've got a damn good talk, but I'm not going to carry on. Because I think God wants us to hear. I really do. I, I, I think we're coming out of 2021. If you are like me, pretty fried, pretty exhausted, pretty spent. Times deep encouragement, discouragement, should I say. That's why this is so pertinent to me, maybe to you. Where's your barrenness? I was going to exegete the rest of the passage, but where's your barrenness? Where are you carrying a lack of fruitfulness? It's parched. I went and had a look at barrenness in the light of the Middle East, and there's a lot. Would you close your eyes with me? You can go meditate. Yeah. Just, just, life is so busy and so rushed. Just sit quietly. As my question, where are you barren? Where is your soul parched, crispy, crackly on the edges? Where is the lack of fruitfulness? that has discouraged you so deeply. 